I am next year. How are you? Fine. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm Madam President. Hi there. I was going for something and your name kept popping up. I apologize for being late. I think we need to start the meeting. Will the clerk call the roll, please? Sure. Trustee Lawrence, here. Uh, Trustee De DeVries will be late. Yes, will be late. Trustee Hernandez? Here. Trustee Banerjee? Here. Trustee Charlin? Here. Trustee Jensen? Here. Trustee Thompson? Here. Trustee Zorthian? Here. We have a problem. Great, thank you. Mm -hmm. um, we will start with open session. Do I have any cards for open session? No. All right, then we'll move to the president's report, which is on the agenda, and I'm brief only to encourage all of you here to make certain that you contact the Republican, con uh, Republican senators, um, particularly those that are wavering. So we've got Maine, Kentucky with Rand Paul, um, Utah is a potential, as is uh, Nevada. Nevada and, yes, thank you, Nevada and Utah. Right. So both of those two. So if you can, in fact, make some calls or um, we really need to get this thing defeated and we just need a couple more to say no. So that's my report. Um, I think the CEO is not here tonight. Is that correct? He's and you not, are I, I do have some uh, updates that I'd like to share, if, if I may. That's great. You may. Well, thank you. <laughs> you know, it's it's just like the vacuum is better looking. You guys are pretty much alike. So. <laughs> So again, thank you. So again, Delvecchio officers regrets. He's uh, he's actually at the California Hospital Association board retreat, uh, where they are having extensive discussions exactly about uh, some of the challenges that we're facing and what's uh, what our plan is and strategy to move forward and address some of these uh, gaps that uh, that are expected. Uh, as, as Trustee Lawrence mentioned, you know, the Senate just released that uh, the, the BCRA uh, 1.1 or whatever, uh, you know, version of the, the revised version of the Better Care Reconciliation Act. Um, you know, the early, the early read uh, is, is relatively the same as the last one. Uh, there are um, uh, some changes, but really all of them are really worse, make it worse for yes, the safety do. net facilities. Yes, yeah. they do. So, um, you know, on, on a positive side, though, there were new dollars added for the opioid uh, addiction initiative, and so that's that's one positive thing. But outside of that, there's still significant uh, Medicaid cuts, uh, more than 30%, and also eliminates the expansion. Uh, so that that's, again, a significant impact to, to safety net facilities. So that's something that's being closely monitored. We're continuing to, to see and, and watch that, and, and they're very involved and actively working with all of their legislators and, and, and uh, lobbyists to make sure that we can get our message out there and continue to emphasize the importance of how we value that service. Um, second, I'd like to share um, 
in recognition of all these efforts of what we're trying to do, uh, in front of you is a is an article that was recently published in the San Francisco, uh, is it the San Francisco Times Chronicle? San Francisco Chronicle. Uh, uh, that way in which uh, our, our very own um, uh, Richard Espinosa uh, was was quoted and, and really was instrumental in in bringing together the residents that were interviewed and were part of this. Uh, certainly kudos to Terry Lightfoot and, and his team, Chris Long, uh, who really made this happen. And, and this is a great way for us to share our story and, and really how valuable these services are to our community and those that are in need. So this was a, a very important effort and, and I'm glad that we were able to do that. So if you hadn't had a chance to read it, I've shared it for you guys to look at that. And then lastly, uh, I'd like to also just uh, communicate that uh, we have, I, I think in some of the board updates that Del Vecchio shares, we have been sh you know, communicating the transition of our lab services and our out, uh, ambulatory clinics from previously all services were being provided by Quest, now they're provided by our Highland Lab uh, services. So that was effective on June 26th. Um, we've been uh, working through that. Uh, we've had a very successful transition. Um, our, our, we have, uh, you know, we have on-site staff now uh, with our phlebotomists providing those services. We have courier services bringing those samples to Highland. As a result of that, from the other hospitals, you mean? From the other clinics. Yeah, right. From the other, from the clinics, or I'll say primary care clinics, uh, Eastmont, Newark, Hayward. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're bringing those, we're, we have those services on site now, the phlebotomists draw those samples now, where patients in the past had, they would get an order, they would have to go to a remote draw station for Quest, and then those would be processed. Now we're managing that in-house. So not only is that a better customer experience, it's uh, providing better and quicker results. Mm -hmm. Uh, where we're able to provide stat results for these services and communicate it through our uh, EMR or next gen, uh, as well as uh, all other results are provided the same day of uh, drawing. So, so again, better service, better quality, uh, better reporting, and it's also going to generate a profit of about $1.2 million for the organization. So that's, that's a wonderful initiative and a lot of work. <laughs> One thing I, I must say, though, is that we did run into a little bit of a uh, as part of this transition, it's been working very well. Uh, our physicians, for the most part, and all the communication I've received has been uh, very positive. I think everyone uh, uh, likes the change and is appreciated, appreciative of, of the work that's being done. We did run into a snag with one of our payers, um, uh, you know, which we're working through, and Tangerine actually is leading that effort to, to make sure that we address you know, the, the, the disparity in what happened there is, is more administrative than anything else. But we're working through that, but again, it's not impacting our ability or what we're doing to provide the services. So um, it's going very well. So those, those are, that's, uh, that was a, a big and, and uh, you know, uh, labor-intensive initiative, but uh, we've got it running. It's running well over the last several weeks. Great results. So you're able to see all payers or, or are there some payers that are still limited? No, we just have an, an issue with one payer one. That uh, that uh, we're, you know again it's about a reimbursement. It's not about being able to see them. It's about getting reimbursed for those services because okay. of the way the contract was structured. So we're working through that. Good. Did our contract with Quest allow us to do what we've done? Yes. Yes. So we're able to move forward. What will that mean um, if we did what six million with Quest last year? What will that mean? Our hope is to give how much to Quest in the future? Well, well, remember, I mean, we, we still we still use. I mean, even even at at uh, at Highland, I mean, for certain procedures and certain tests, we still use Quest as as a reference laboratory for certain testing. So, I mean, it's not that we're getting rid of Quest completely. What this is is we've taken a small portion of the business that was being provided and 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 careful by Quest, 
at the clinics, and we've brought that in-house to provide better services for our patients. 50%, 20%, I'm just trying to get a grip of what um, this means in terms of our total volume of tests. You know, I, I don't have that information, Anthony, but I mean, we can certainly get that to you. Um, Mark. Park. Tangerine, would you have a, a number? No, we don't have that information. We just started it for about two weeks. We certainly can look at the volume over time and compare that to what was out request, to what we're doing today, but I think it would be premature to throw out a number without having any data to support it. We had to have had in mind what we expected it to result before we approved it, right? What was the intent? Well, again, I think it's, it's, it was, we had this out-migration. We were sending out these services. We were providing this that was, uh, I think, not customer or patient-centric, and so we saw this as an opportunity for us to leverage the capacity that we have right now within our system. We have a state-of-the-art laboratory robotic line down in, you know, in Highland in our, right. in our laboratory, so we figured, you know, we have, we have uh, great capacity and we're not utilizing it completely, so why don't we go ahead and take on these services, let's work it to where we can care for our patients, keep our patients within mm -hmm. our system and provide, you know, the best care possible. But, so but it, you don't anticipate a financial uh, increase. You're you, you believe there will be a savings by bringing it inside. Is that what I heard you say? No, I think we're going to make the money that Quest was being paid for doing those lab tests. Exactly. We're going to get that money. But a lot, another motivation was that they were making errors or drawing the, lab, the wrong test and then the patient had to go back. And some things that we thought... What we're getting from them is not up to the quality that we want for our lab services. Well, even if it's cost neutral, we're, we have in fact improved the system by bringing that stuff in house. Yeah. And, well, and the intent is to improve, improve the system. The intent yeah. is to improve. So, um, and thus far, we're seeing question was My question was, was financial. If we're giving X to Quest, we now plan to do X ourselves. Basic. I mean, obviously, someone had to run. I mean, it's, it's not a difficult question. Well, maybe you. what you could do is bring that at the finance mm -hmm. meeting and report that out because it's an it's an interesting, sure. it's something new, and it would be interesting yeah. for us to, to know if you don't have that information now. Or maybe we can just get, you know, a, an idea of what we're using the reference lab for, what tests are going out to the reference yeah, lab. Yeah, it's not very many anymore, I think. Yeah, for the reference yeah. lab, we should be able to run all of the basic in-house, right? Correct. Yeah. <clears throat> Which is the lion's share, and I would assume oh, a by very, very high percentage of, of what we do. But uh, David, do you have any anything you can share on that? Yeah. Um, so um, there's two things. One is when we here in the hospital have tests that we can't do and send to send to Quest. That's right. one issue. We're really dealing with a separate issue here, which is when someone goes from FQHC and then these lab services, <clears throat> who does them? Who gets paid? Prior to this. Quest had a capitated agreement with primarily the Alliance, which is our largest payer, which meant that they got paid, <clears throat> the patients went to Quest. If the patients happened to show up here for some reason, like they're upstairs and they go here, we didn't get paid because the Alliance says, hey, we're already paying Quest. We didn't like that. So we said, no, no, no. We, we would like to do those tests ourselves, and we would like to get paid for those. And after about a six-month negotiation, uh, and a big implementation plan, giving credit to John Chapman and Luis. They've agreed to that. Now we have kind of a hiccup a little bit, but we're working that out. Okay. So the idea is we would do the test, we would get paid. So are we capitated or are we on a fee-for-service basis? Uh, we're going to be fee-for-service. 
So, and we can get more details for you. Yeah, I, I don't want granular, just kind Tang, of Tangerine yeah. is back there nodding her head. She'll, we'll get to some of those details to make sure. But again, this, it made complete sense, not only totally. from a fair delivery and from a, from a you know, financial perspective. So. Yeah, great. Support it all. Mm -hmm. That's all I have. <laughs> After that, that's all I have. <laughs> you stay you don't want anything else? No, no, that we're good. Yeah, Thank you. You're, you're more than welcome. Okay, I'm going to move to the consent agenda, and we have on it the minutes for uh, May 25th and June 8th. I didn't see the June 8th min and minutes. In the I didn't they either. were there. No. no af so after the uh, message from Trustee Lawrence last night, I did not send out the June 8th minutes. So what I'd like to do is to pull these, and we'll bring them back at the meeting at the end of the month. Pull both. Pull, pull the 20th, May 25th too. Yes. yes. I think it's an excellent idea. Okay. <laughs> So do I have any objection from the board of pulling these items? Okay. Thank you very much. We will move that for uh, our September meeting. No, the end of the month meeting. Yes. Yeah. Sorry, I was moving too quickly. I'm happy to move the consent agenda. Thank you. A second? second. I have a question about the, the uh, agreement, the A. Okay. Can I ask a question? Yeah, absolutely. Then, uh, I do. How, so we, we're paying $1,000 times $3, $1 million times 3 How much are we expecting that that's going to improve revenue? Does anybody know? So, so these contracts are written as <clears throat> a maximum, okay? Uh, and it's based on the amount that's actually collected. <clears throat> and so it's, it's an incentive-based contract. Oh, if they don't collect anything, they don't get paid. So the, the percentage is very depending on how hard it is to collect that bucket of receivables. And we've, we've now broken this into three pieces, uh, which takes away some of the potential for gaming and, and bad incentives that existed before. And we've, we've introduced some other players so we can kind of compare vendors and get a better deal and see how they do it. Okay. I, I just, self-pay seems like a fairly small piece of our action but I don't know. it's relatively small but you know it's, it's, there's it's a million million and a half dollars a year and it's worth you know it's worth well I guess that's why I was thinking a million we're gonna pay three million I couldn't imagine we were gonna make more than that no, it, that it's just it's just written to be a maximum the, okay. the actual amounts being collected and paid to these folks have dropped quite a bit because we're now doing a better job at um, collecting up front I was just in a uh, staff meeting where we're recognizing one of our one of our employees in the front end got employee of the quarter went to the staff meeting and they, they were going through everything and they had how much each person had collected and they were giving out certificates mm -hmm. for the best it was, it was really kind of exciting <coughs> but they're, they're really doing a nice job and, and doing a really good job collecting the right data up front so that we don't have to correct it on the back end. Okay. okay any other questions on the consent agenda thank you thank you very any other questions Okay, uh, we have a, a motion to approve and a second. All those in favor? Aye. Opposed? Great. Okay, we'll move to item D, an information a performance dashboard. Ishwari, are you ready? Yes, thank you. Okay. Thank you very much. Um, we had uh, provided information to you all, and this, this presentation is about uh, looking at our proposed metrics. <laughs> Sorry about that. 
this, this is an informational session, and it's really requesting your feedback on uh, AHS's proposed performance dashboard, which is a balanced scorecard for FY18. Uh, again, just to remind you of the process we are undertaking to develop this, is that um, we want your feedback today. We've, our management team has taken a look across the six pillars, and they propose certain metrics for each of those pillars uh, with some baselines. Knowing that we're still honing in on the baselines, we really want your feedback on the proposed <coughs> metrics for next year. And once we receive that feedback, we will firm it up and we'll come back at the end of the month uh, for, uh, with, a, with a formal uh, dashboard which will measure our performance across the six pillars for FY18. And in the meantime, we've also had some feedback from, a com from the committees. For example, the Finance Committee uh, had a chance to review the sustainability metrics, which is one of the pillars, and they did provide feedback, which is included now uh, today for your review. Um, I have a request, actually a question rather. I can either go through the entire presentation for you or I can hone in on the dashboard which has six pillars and open it up for questions. I'm happy to take it whichever way you'd like me to. What, thank you for, for that. Um, last night at Human Resources, um, it, there were a lot of questions about, about matrix and so if you don't mind I would like to have you um, go through each one of the dashboards tell go and teach us they know I'm I'll be the guinea pig here of what it is you expect to get what you're measuring against and, and so that we can learn about what this is because typically what ends up happening is we just ask a whole lot of questions and it's the clarity is not is not there so if you would start with number one go through what it is you expect um, and the whole thing and as I'm happy to do that thank you for that feedback and as we go through it I will also be calling upon uh, certain executive sponsors who are around the table today uh, to help provide more clarity uh, and provide more education on each of the proposed metrics because they are the folks that are uh, the ones that have um, done a lot of work behind the scenes with their stakeholders to develop these uh, dashboards. So the first pillar may, we have... May I interrupt just for a yes. moment? Um, I'm looking at what we have been receiving for quite some time and I do notice that there are differences and perhaps the other thing that you could do is just tell us how this new version is different from what we have been looking at for the last year, because that might save us quite a bit of time. There is uh, quite a bit that is exactly what we've been seeing. I only see two or three areas where there is substantial change. And that's, that's based on the premise that you understood the first round. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Okay. I can also give you some context to cross each of these pillars on what is currently in today's dashboard and what we're proposing for next year. That's okay. right. So the first pillar is access. If you recall, for this year, we were measuring, we are me or this past year, which is now we are in the new fiscal year, uh, we had measured our <coughs> clinic visits and we had also included as a component of that non-traditional visits. Now for next year, we are proposing um, five different metrics across the access pillars. And across all these pillars, actually, the theme is that we are being intentional to pick metrics that are um, a good indicator across a balanced scorecard, and they're tied to our critical initiatives and objectives. 
and uh, especially in the access realm. Uh, we are uh, recommending that we look at no-show rates across both primary and specialty and continue to look at not Define primary, define specialty. Okay. Um, Happy to take that question. Uh, so primary care is averaged across women's health services, pediatrics, and adult medicine at our four wellness sites, Highland, Hayward, Eastmont, and Newark. Specialty care includes pretty much everything else outside of that. So all of our surgical specialties, orthopedic surgery, general surgery, trauma surgery, urology, um, the list goes on. There's about 26 cardiology. of them, as well as all of our medical specialties, cardiology, gastroenterology, etc. So if, is there a, um, what do they call it, a... Uh, a uh, uh, footnote that would tell me that so that I can remember that. I think go. it would be helpful if I can to have a glossary yeah. just that we could keep in our of what all these terms mean so that we can just look so that we don't have, you know, because we forget we come twice a month and we try to do our best, but there's something so that, that would we be don't helpful. Absolutely. That's an excellent suggestion. We were intending to provide a glossary not just for you all, but for us internally as well. So we're all on the same page. We look at data specifications and <coughs> the definition of these metrics are. So we're happy to provide that. In we fact, understand that you can do one for us. Um, <laughs> okay, great. We can put it together for our uh, board meeting at the end of the so are we clear on the definitions of primary and um, specialty and mm -hmm. what no-shows are? Um, so th that's the first metric. We didn't go over no-show. We went over specialty and primary. What's a no-show in this um, matrix? Okay. At least I didn't hear it. It's basically patients that are not showing up for their appointments. Exactly they have what an appointment it means. Book, okay. And they haven't shown up. Now there is a nuance there. We can get into the weeds as far as how we measure no-shows. And that's the process we are frankly working through in defining the data specifications on what it means when we define a no-show. And actually, maybe Dr. Babaria can give you a little bit more context to that, because we're trying to hone it down to the provider no-show rate. Right now, we're measuring it across the board. So when a patient comes in, they could see a nurse, they could see a, a dietitian, a nutritionist, or a provider. We want to measure provider no-show, because that was intentional towards the efforts that we're undertaking to improve that, to improve access. And, and so that's what we're talking about. We just found some errors in the report that is built within Sorian. So Dave Gravender's team has been amazing, working around the clock literally all week. Um, I just joined their Skype calls intermittently to see how progress is going. And they're working on it. I think just one of the data challenges, to be frank, is that our ability to manipulate data and reports inside of Cerner is incredibly challenging and difficult. So they're, you know, and you can comment on this more, but something that is relatively simple in other EHR systems is incredibly challenging because a lot of those fields are restricted, they're locked down, we can't extract data, manipulate data the way that you can. So they are moving mountains to make this happen and get us clean data, but I know that all of us are really eagerly awaiting our future state EHR. And it, is it important to measure on that no-show rate also if there are encounters that are generating encounters even for the nurse practitioners or other that we, we know what that no-show rate is because that's really driving a lot of the productivity and a lot of the yeah. revenue. So it would be good to, I know you're peeling them off so we can see primary care and specialty care, but other revenue-generating no-shows I'd like to see somewhere. Yeah, so when we say provider, we mean all revenue-generating providers. All revenue. So the oh, only okay. visits that we peel out are the ones that are not billable visits. And we're still yeah. capturing them, but, you know, they're a separate bucket in, yeah, no, in this yeah, report. Which is, yeah, thanks. The only other thing on access, so third next available, are we going to be able to report on it? Can we report on it? 
are we, we going do, we to do collect it. So right before I came to this, my second few hours with the data governance team today were on Third Next available, um, which similarly, the way the report is currently set up within Sorian does not match national AHRQ data specs around Third Next available appointment. So they're also working on cleaning that up, and that is something that um, we report on our ambulatory dashboard. And when I come do QPSC updates, I'm happy to bring that data. Yeah, I think that's important, and also to see it broken out by primary and specialty, yeah. and then further broken down by specialties. Absolutely. Because there's going to be, yeah. I, I assume there's a wide variance in those. Very much so, and we're actually going through working groups and a huge cleanup effort to standardize all of our templates and scheduling practices. So I'm hoping that, I'm not going to promise, but as we go through that promise, we should see, or process, we should see vast improvements, I think, in our TNAA across all of our clinic sites. Okay. Thank you. And, and in fact, uh, towards the end of the presentation, we've also proposed some watch metrics. And under access, we have next available appointments, which is also a measure that uh, is Great. required by managed care. Right. And we would want to track that this year and set it out so that we are in a position to have comfort in the baselines that we could potentially use this as one of the metrics for next year or the year after. Okay. So uh, I am, based on this conversation, I am confused. So, and I'm just one member, but. So what is the agreement now that will be measured? We are proposing the metrics that are up here. We were just sharing with you the details behind the challenges we've had in working through all these different baselines. We are still confident we can get a baseline so, that will define us across uh, access that we are recommending that we measure no-show rate um, at, per the definition that we've set forth that is across all providers provider no-show rates across primary and specialty, across all AHS um, uh, ambulatory sites is our proposed metric, one of our, two of our proposed metrics for access okay. for next year. So the questions that, that Gary just raised, those will not be on this? Correct. The third next available, but they will be available at QPSC. Well, why can't they be available for the well, I mean, And that's really your feedback to us well, today. That, so if you like the, that, if that's you the question that I'm asking, yeah. and I'm and I'm pressing. And I know I sound like a grouch, but we've been dealing with this dashboard stuff for a long time. I think. And it's, do you? How long do you want it to get? Well, but, but also, as you found, as we saw last night, the like some of these are going to be come go to committee, and they'll be they'll be much more robust in committee. Than, yeah. Um, for example, workforce, the best place to learn and work, there will be several um, metrics on that, but the board will hear the one that the committee has determined is the most useful, I guess. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm just, I think it's a great, we, but we've, I guess what they're trying to do is limit the number of things on this high-level dashboard. Really? I mean, as a trustee, I'd like to know, like, are we timely? Are we in terms of access? Are we effective? Safe? So efficient? So when I'm thinking access and timely, I want to see how soon are we getting the appointment on the main dashboard, not at the committee level. I'm on QPSC too, but how quickly are we reaching that? So I would suggest at the, at the extent of adding another row, the timeliness has to be there somehow, right? So, so is, if people agree with that. I, you know, I tend to agree. I mean, I think that that's a standard measure. I think it's a very high-level measure. And I, even though, you know, many of us serve on QPSC, 
but I think it's something the entire board has to look at. It's an important element of access, and if we can measure. So we can, we can, we're working on definitely measuring, and I feel confident we'll be able to get that. The TNA is really reported out at the provider or site level, so we will have you know 30 different numbers. So on our dashboard, we definitely we track all of those out. I think when you go to creating an average, it gets complicated. If someone is only here a half day a week, or someone sees 10 patients and their TNA is 100, and someone sees 1,000 patients and their TNA is 25, I think you lose information when you're just averaging what those numbers are. Just to give context for ambulatory there's about 20 operational metrics that we track every single month published in our dashboard and about you know 50 quality metrics for prime that we're similarly tracking and publishing monthly so there there's an abundance of data and I guess it's just a question of what's the best way to get it to the board well maybe the best that. thing to do is to come back maybe even to QPSC with a couple of different ways of measuring that so that way it can then roll up to this dashboard because there, there's a couple of ways of looking at, at that third next available, and I realize there are some complexities, whether it's, you know, someone who works two days a week and, you know, someone who specifically wants to see that particular provider. And so, you know, I'm sure if you sit down, it can probably come yeah, up with a absolutely. way to measure that in a way that's going to roll up and a, and a metric that's going to make sense to the board. Right, and have fidelity, not right. dilute the... And, and my question to you is, uh, as the doctor and, and overseer of this of this process, uh, how do you measure your own your own improvement? And if you can't measure your own improvement, then then we can't measure it either. So, uh, I'm, how do you do that? So we absolutely measure it, but we do it at a much more manageable bite-sized level. So for every single site, they have provider-level data and then rolled-up data that will say Eastmont Women's, Eastmont Adult, Eastmont Pediatrics, where the leaders of each of those units are driving change in scheduling practices, um, patient access, reducing no-show rates to drive down that TNAA. And, you know, so, but that's 12 numbers. And we show that on a graph with trend lines for our ambulatory dashboard, how you would fit those 12 numbers in one line of a system-level dashboard um, while still showing improvements in those areas, I think is definitely a challenge. So, so if you have an unassigned who calls in or you're tracking third next available for an unassigned member, maybe that's part of kind of the logic of what needs to be seen too. I just want to echo that the time it takes to get an appointment is very important to us because remember what we all know, the triple aim, right? The right care at the right time at the best price. Um, in saying those three things, it's really complex, I get it, but at least some measure of how long it takes to get an appointment is super helpful. So, yeah. And sometimes it's helpful just to see on the unassigned. If somebody is to call one of the primary care clinics and say, what's your next available appointment for Dr. X? And somebody says, well, I'm sorry, but that's three weeks out. But we can get you in tomorrow if you're willing to see one of our other practitioners or providers. And that's helpful, too. I think that's always good information to have. I'm, I'm noting your feedback, and we can go back and see how creative we can get and see if we can distill that in a measurable way that's meaningful across the system dashboard, and we can come back to you. Yeah, I think you've got a universal interest in, in making certain we know um, how quickly we can get in. Absolutely. Okay. Thank you. So you want to go to the next yes. one? Um, we still haven't completed the access. No, no, no. Either. I'm so. non-traditional. <laughs> non-traditional. <laughs> so there's two uh, pieces there. So we are currently measuring non-traditional visits in our clinic visits, and we included that in this year's dashboard. 
what the nuance here is that we are distilling it further and only measuring e-consults and coded telephone visits. And again, uh, to give you more context to what they might be, um, I'll request Dr. Babaria just to step in a little bit and explain what the definitions of those are before I mess it up. Um, so e-consults, I think you guys have heard about before that we're doing through our next-gen platform, so either internal pro and our Rimbocon platform, so either internal providers who request an e-consult of our specialists or CHCN providers that request an e-consult where they send their question. The specialist provider will review it and provide feedback without necessarily seeing the patient face-to-face -face so that the primary care provider can have additional useful information to advance the care of that patient, um, sometimes averting a specialty appointment altogether if it's not needed, if it was a very simple answer, or at least ensuring when that patient does show up to specialty care that the appropriate workup um, and testing has been completed. So and with CHCN is Community Healthcare Network, all of the clinics that are non-AHS clinics but that send their patients to us. And there's a Blue Shield grant that has been supporting that work for the last two years or so. Um, and then telephone visits are exactly what they sound like. So a visit with the patient that occurs over the telephone. Um, again, usually more simple things, following up to make sure patients aren't having medication reactions, giving you know results of lab tests, following up on diagnoses that were made, um, urgent visits where the patient just wants advice over the phone. If it's anything complex, usually that does turn into an in-person, face-to-face visit. I think the challenge with both of these is currently this data is being drawn out of next-gen um, and Rubicon, there is there are lots of these activities happening outside of that, for example, in our non-next-gen specialty clinics that we don't have a great way of capturing from a data perspective, and we're working with the BI team actively to figure out how to capture those. And I was just wondering about that benchmark of 118, because you and I know that many happen in a week. Yeah. Um, so. Um, so the other challenging part is there is a telephone template, and this is really in the weeds, I apologize, in next-gen. Um, there is no hard stop that forces people to sort of talk, document what type of telephone visit it was with a patient or if this was just a med refill or something else being done. Um, NextGen does not actually accommodate that. So this is a voluntary checkbox that the providers fill out saying, I had a telephone visit with the patient. You can imagine the sort of voluntary uptake of checking that box um, is hard. And so we're really actively educating folks to check that box so we can both capture the data and we do get points through our, wa our waiver program for GPP for every one of those telephone visits. So there is actual also financial utility to doing this through that payment program. Um, but it is, again, an entirely voluntary behavior that we're trying to train you know, hundreds of providers to adopt. And that's the revenue generation on this is really through the waivers. And, and, and no, you have no other payers out there that are compensating for it. No. Right. And this ties back to our waiver efforts. GPP is a component of the waiver program, so this it goes back directly to that and gives us a measure on making an improvement towards that effort. I will say that CHCN and our regulatory um, providers feel that this You'll need to use the microphone. Oh, I'm sorry. sorry, I can't hear you. Sorry. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Rachel Baden, the chair of Best, and I'm here on Gassan's behalf. He's away. Um, I will say that the e-consult platform has really been... Um, amazing, and I think it's a, one example of our ability to provide access to care to CHCN um, and primary care providers in the ambulatory clinics, and that the service has been good, um, and we've gotten rave reviews and ratings from the primary care providers in the community on the service, and we're up to eight specialties now here, so both surgical and medical specialties. Right. That's good. With plans to roll out many more. Yes, <laughs> with plans to roll out many more. Great. 
so our final metric under access is um, uh, in the realm of post-acute care and across acute services as well. This is measuring um, our reduction in outpatient rehab. So we have a wait list, and one of the critical initiatives that we've defined for next year across this um, SBU is uh, looking at how we can improve capacity to reduce this uh, wait list that patients face when they're trying to get a rehab appointment. This could be PT, OT, or speech. Um, so there's a significant effort that Richard Espinoza uh, and, and Luis have undertaken to uh, bring forward a kind of an assessment of how they can improve the, uh, and improve the capacity. So this is just a snapshot in time. It tells us what the wait list is, and the aim is to reduce that. Okay. The, only, the only issue I have with that is it doesn't really tell me exactly how long a patient is waiting. Mm -hmm. Are, does this number mean a week, two weeks? You know, in other words, what's the throughput on this? What's the, what can we do on that? Um, that's a good question. I don't know what's the time period that these patients yeah. are on the wait it's list. It's longer than that. Wait, so I'm going to assume, <laughs> but, yeah. 1,700 people, is that how I'm supposed to interpret this? 1,700 people have been waiting X amount of weeks, is that correct? But if you're seeing 1,700 people a week, that could be a week. If you're seeing 1,700 people a month, it might well, be a I, month. It, yeah, but, but 1,700 doesn't mean it. I mean, yeah. I don't understand. Richard, what is it that you to, to clarify the number, the 1,700 reflects all of 2016 and five months of 2017 that are on the waiting list to be seen. So we're actually looking at the numbers so that we can compare apples to apples by doing a July through this fiscal year. So we have a, a specific number of PT, how many are on the waiting list. It's both um, internal referrals and external referrals, which we can delineate, and how we can reduce that number um, by having longer rehab hour days and looking at weekends as well. How do you know that that's 1,700? Don't say, I'm out of here, I'm going someplace else. So the, the number 1,700, does are they the same 1,700 people that, that come? So there are 1,700 that are waiting to be seen through our system. We have been contacting those from that were earlier in uh, 2016 to see if they still needed to be seen or if they had been seen elsewhere or wanted to be referred elsewhere so that they can be seen sooner. So the goal is for us to see if we can expand capacity so that we can see more of those to relook at our throughput process from beginning to end from physicians doing surgery and making the referral into rehab and how quickly we can get them seen and how quickly we can get them onto the books for PTO teen speech. I understand your objective. What I don't understand is how you are measuring that objective with that number. That doesn't make sense to me. So uh, I, I understand what you're trying to, uh, trying to look at. That makes sense. But telling me this number does not, I don't know how you're going to, so give me some. Do we know how long someone is on the list before they get an appointment? We do. So we can calculate how long someone has been waiting. And it is how long? A year or two I would months? have to look to give you more okay. specific yeah. data. And, and, I, and I think that, that would be a better measure yeah, for us totally. to see, especially if you could separate it out by PTOT and speech, right, with three major modalities and be able to say we're waiting, you know, 30 days for the first appointment for a speech therapist, because that helps us look at resource and say, well, you know, maybe we need to look at recruiting another speech therapist. Whereas looking at a, at a number of 1,700, you go, mm, you know, uh, what does that mean? And that's been part of our 
initial assessment, and so for fiscal year 18, that has been part of the process, is that we are going to be recruiting more PTOT speech and doing the extended hours and the weekend so that we can see more of those. But we can certainly look at uh, the time frame for how long it takes uh, a patient to be seen. Yeah, for the first appointment, because sure. after that, it's always going to be, you know, whether the the patient comes of his own volition, all right, and it's reoccurring. So, so first appointment is probably, yeah. Sure. Uh, okay. So, so th- this number then is going to be modified and changed. You're going to look at something else because uh, obviously it doesn't say anything to us. It doesn't measure. But your goal is, I don't go sure. with the goal. Sure. Okay. So new okay. patient first appointment divided by PTOT speech. Okay. All right. Okay. So now, how did you arrive at the? We're going across now. How did you arrive at the baseline, and how are you going to determine your targets? They're both a TBD at this point. The baseline itself. The reason the access baselines are in pink, in um, full disclosure, is that there are issues that we're working through to get them honed in right. And you heard some of the uh, challenges we have with uh, gathering that data. We are hopeful that by the time we come to the board, by the end of the month that we would have honed in more uh, details in getting these baselines um, ironed out. So baselines typically would be, we have a choice. We could look at last year's and then decide. That's a decision that we'll have to make and recommend to you all on which baselines we use. This, this could be an average of the last three years, or it could be last year. It could be just uh, fiscal year um, 17. That's yet, the, what's, what's here is fiscal year 2017 baselines, with the caveat that the ones in pink are still being worked on as we speak, uh, and we will have to refine that. I see. So the pink indicates that this is not yet complete. Correct. Okay. Okay. But uh, the targets, it would be helpful to see industry standard benchmarks and be able to set targets based upon not only baseline, but industry standard. And and I'd like to talk about that industry standard. Tell me why that's important looking at an industry standard and not, uh, is that a national industry standard? Is it a California standard? Is it a Bay Area standard? Because I have a real, I have a real issue about comparing us to South Carolina, to Arkansas, to New York. That doesn't, so these base, the industry standard, what does that mean? It's a broad definition, you're right. It could mean, uh, just like you said, it could mean national standards. Within that, it could mean looking across uh, academic institutions. It could mean looking um, even at a state level, or it could be looking at a grouping of hospitals similar to our health systems or public entities similar to us. So there's a variety of ways we can define a benchmark, and they could be different across each of the metrics. And and they are uh, based on a rationale that we have to feel comfort in looking at those benchmarks, the metrics, and then comparing them against the comparison groups that we decide are appropriately measuring and comparable to us in terms of the way we operate and the way we function and our um, environmental conditions. So you're right in that there is a variety of choices that we have uh, in in choosing a benchmark. So are you going to come to us with a recommendation of what you would like to measure against? Uh, some of these, frankly, have uh, built-in benchmarks. As we go down the pillars, you'll see that for uh, experience, we have no, been stay there. with. Don't, no, I'm just giving you a flavor across uh, these. For access, we have an opportunity to look at any of these uh, metrics. We are still working through the benchmarking itself to see what benchmarking we would be using. 
to measure some of these standards against. So I don't have an answer today. Okay. But we hope to get you that answer pretty soon. Okay. That's that's fair. I just my question was you'll come back with with what you want to measure against. Yes. Okay. Okay. Any other questions on access? Okay. Sustainability. All right. Um, sustainability in FY17 we measured EBITDA. This year we're measuring quite a few other metrics, knowing that uh, the attention that our um, uh, operations and our management team is going to face uh, is going to focus on a benchmarking system as well as looking at um, performing against uh, those uh, internal as well as external benchmarks that we decide, and looking at productivity um, and looking at how uh, we perform operationally. Or we are recommending, in addition to EBITDA. Uh, other metrics such as operating margin. Operating margin is a metric we added in after feedback from the Finance Committee. Uh, and other metrics such as cost per adjusted patient day, uh, worked hours per adjusted patient day, and FTEs per adjusted occupied bed. These are again uh, metrics that are typically used across all types of healthcare institutions across the country. These are fairly standard uh, metrics and uh, we feel that this give, these metrics give us a good um, 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 feel across the system on how we are performing operationally um, as we look at uh, measuring our sustainability. Okay, so so the two the two uh, thousand eight nine five and the four point seven two. Um, how did you arrive at those? Uh, those I mean, are. I know there's a baseline, and when you talk about your target. Uh, I can yeah, speak those, to the those are actual baseline. values yeah. for how we're doing right now. We would uh, <clears throat> what we'd want to do is um, look at comparable organizations, and these should be readily available. But we'd, we'd want to identify which organizations we think are comparable, and perhaps get three to four to five of those and put a create a benchmark out of that and say, you know, for FT3 OB, <clears throat> it'll be 4.5 or whatever the numbers work out to. And David, that becomes a target or, or you change the you change the, the baseline? Um, I'd say, well, the, the baseline here is just simply where we currently are today. Right. So we, at some point, certainly we'll be looking at, well, what's the budget for next year? That's a target. But at some point, we do need to put a benchmark in there, saying, "Well, where, where should it be?" That's 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 what I'm trying to, and to what understand. What do they mean exactly? I mean, why are they important? Okay. What's a, yeah. What's um, an adjusted pay? So let me day? let me let me walk through these from top to bottom, and I can also say that the uh, the finance committee has asked for something a little more detailed. We have about twelve <coughs> that we're tracking, but these are the, the five that we're putting on here. So the first one is uh, EBITDA, which is essentially cash flow. So that's important because it describes how much cash we're generating from operations. As you recall from the budget process, we said, you know, sort of a minimum of 6% is needed to meet the, the cash needs of the organization going forward. Um, at the Finance Committee, we decided to also add operating margin, which is a little different. And the difference is essentially um, depreciation. And um, one of the reasons for that is uh, when you look at EBITDA and say number like six and a half, that sounds like a lot, but it's really not, okay? It's really not because most organizations spend somewhere around, you know, four to six percent or more on capital. So if you took six and you took out you know, your capital needs, you're essentially not generating any excess cash whatsoever. Right. So we decided to add in operating margin, which is a traditional 
measure of uh, financial performance readily comparable to any organization across the country. Um, the next one is a measure of efficiency, and that is uh, cost per adjusted patient day. Now, adjusted patient day is a volume metric. It's calculated, but what it essentially does is it accumulates, it tries to accumulate everything we're doing and put it into one number. So, so patient days, outpatient visits, specialty <coughs> visits, ancillary activity. There's a, there's a standard methodology for doing that. And then it says, well, you know, how, basically, how much are our costs going up every year? You know, because you can compare year to year. Uh, and you can compare the absolute amount, in this case, 2895 uh, In, uh, for example, in 2016, we got that number down to $2,600. And now it's come up to 2895 uh, This is another number that we can compare to, if we can find a comparable organization, it's readily calculable you know, from publicly available information, and we can get an idea uh, how other organizations are doing, how efficient they are. And, and how does the CPI fall into this? Uh, the CPI certainly has a factor. So, the, so uh, one thing is how much do our wages go up every year? Another thing is how much are our volume going up? So it's kind of a, a cost over volume. And one of our objectives is to, you know, keep those together and, and get more efficient over time. Okay, so that's an important measure. CPI uh, consumer price index? Yes. Okay. Uh, yeah. you know, I just want to make sure we have all the average wage increases. The next measure, yes. And when you get to the next measure, you're going to say FTEs per occupied patient day. Uh, right? Adjusted uh, occupied uh, bed. Sorry. Yeah. And, this, yeah. and who's in, what, are we talking about everybody or are you talking about the doctors who are not? This, employees? This, are we talking about you? Are we, who's in there? Th this is actually everybody. Now, everybody who's employed or is a temporary employee, it does not include currently contracted positions. So it's a little bit of a mismatch. Now, one of the things I'm trying to do is to, to get our staff to go into the system and say doctors are really different than the rest of the staff, okay? Because they're different. <laughs> you don't need to tell a doctor that. Yeah, yeah. But, but they have different metrics. They should be looked at different. They shouldn't necessarily be in that number. So that's something we have to work on, and it makes it perhaps not quite as comparable. Uh, but there's about 100 doctors out of, um, you know, the 4,200 that we have right now total. Well, that so is here. Because they're employed. Well, that's another question that I have, too, about um, FTEs per adjusted, what is that? Occupied bed. Occupied bed. How would you find a metric for an exactly um, whatever the number of our acute beds are, along with our number of clinics, along with our, how would you find something mm -hmm. to compare us to with regard to that? particular yeah and the best way to do that is to have a benchmarking system that allows us to go down to the departmental level because when you look at an organization we have we have some departments that another organization won't and so it, it makes it hard to compare but you know but when you go down to an ICU that's a pretty standard unit that everybody has right. and you, you can look at the hours unit of service on that unit, med surge unit, radiology, ancillary, whatever. And when you're but saying occupied beds, 
Do you, are you also counting the people in the clinics, or yeah. is that really only for the? That's just acute care beds, right? Uh, no, it actually incorporates everything. The calculation mm. you start with, you start with uh, essentially the census, and then you have this adjustment that factors in all the other revenue that we have. So, oh. so the clinics are included. In yes, that. the clinics okay. are included. So that's going to make it nearly impossible, I think, to yeah, find. Yeah, because you have skilled nursing. That's why it's really important to to, right. yeah, to get down to. And is is that a limitation of our current system that won't allow us to kind of do that? It's kind of segregating because I, I would like to see that number we, about we, the clinics. It's yes. a lot of noise in that number. Then. No, no, we, we can certainly, you know, uh, yeah. parse this any way we want, but that's why it's important to go through this benchmarking exercise and be very thoughtful about yeah. how, how are we going to compare? Yeah, I, didn't, I didn't realize how, how, that. Yeah, how are we going to Well, that's what confused me as well. Why are, why do we have adjusted patient day and adjusted occupied bed? They seem to be the same thing. They're, so they're, why they're don't pretty, we say FTEs per? They're, they're pretty similar. The reason, the, the reason we do both ways is those are standard industry metrics. The first one has to do with dollar cost per unit. The other one is a total paid FTEs per right. a unit. But the units are actually sort of the same thing. Yeah. And these are accepted measures, but I, but I think when we're looking at this on the acute care environment, we're not always mixing the clinics in. Yeah. And so that's why, as I said, we're almost going to get into an apples and oranges comparison. We do. We do. And it's going to really... Yeah. Can we separate those out? Can, can we look at... Yeah, we can. It's, it's an exercise. David says no. How do you deal with overhead, right? So yeah. my, my division... Is, serves both inpatient and outpatient. So how do I divide that up into what's inpatient, what's outpatient is very difficult. Unless you well, do an allocation. You do an allocation. It can be done. It can be done. We've initiated a discussion about which benchmarking system should we use. Um, so we can ask those questions as we go through yeah. that. But to me, the best thing is to get down to the departmental level system. You've got a good comparator. Yeah. Just a quick question. Would that be, uh, would these uh, five measures be fairly common to most hospitals? Yes. Uh, looking at this particular issue? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Everybody would have these five measures. Okay. Yeah. And most hospitals like ours, or most hospitals in the country, most hospitals, private, yeah. public, what? Yeah, the entire country, public, private, every, everybody would have these. And so, so why does that help us? I'm interested in why that, why looking at that helps helps uh, us understand. It's, it's a measure. It's kind of common measures of system-wide performance. You've got uh, obviously even an operating margin, total performance, cost efficiency is something that's very important to us. We're looking at canaries in our own mind that will kind of give us a whiff at the efficiency of yeah. the health system going forward. Um, not necessarily specifically managing day-to-day, -day, but just kind of forecasting, and you can correct me, on what the trends are for the profitability of the organization. We agreed to reduce our performance a little bit from a profitability ratio. So as we go closer to the edge of break-even and not break-even, we wanted to throw in some measures other than EBITDA, which is not even a GAAP-accepted measure because, anyway, we don't need to go into that. But, uh, I, I, I was under the impression that that a, a safety net system, because of the way people were insured and the determinants of health in, in areas that are much more 
uh, higher poverty, poverty areas, that those hospitals were going to be far more uh, expensive to run than, and the recouping of those dollars were going to be more difficult than measuring some of the uh, private hospitals where in in affluent areas. So is that a misnomer? Am I uh, mis I think have I misunderstood a, this? I think that's a fair statement. That that. And, and then plus we're a teaching hospital, which is a very big impact yeah. on the cost. So, so why then would we not want to look at ourselves against safety net systems and teaching hospitals Absolutely. Yeah. and use those measurements as opposed to what, what Plus Ganey or any other company just, just does? I mean, it doesn't make sense to me. Well, so one, that's one been reason, my struggle. One reason is that Medicare is changing the rules and saying, we don't really care. We expect everybody to be efficient. The last two uh, are also driven by regulations. The, yeah. the FTEs per, yeah. per whatever the yeah. service is, as well as worked hours per FTE are also yeah. driven by the regulatory environment. But, but frankly, oh. said, I, I agree with you that we should be comparing ourselves to comparable organizations. Yes. And, and that's, once again, what benchmark do you choose? And you have to go back and you have to look at the benchmarks and you have to say, well, I don't think this one applies, right? This one is, is as you say, it's one of those institutions right. in an affluent area where, yeah. you know, the costs yeah. are going to be very different. Maybe their staffing ratios are higher, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. There are always going to be those instances of, of different areas, but I think it's really incumbent upon us to go out and get a benchmark and begin to compare ourselves against that benchmark. Mm -hmm. And it's important for the board because as we start to see these numbers fluctuate, we have to look to see, well, what's happening with other comparable healthcare Com systems to be able to say, yeah. oh my God, we're all going up by 20% or all of our censuses are dropping by 10%. Is this something that's just happening industry-wide, or is this something we're just seeing for ourselves? And that's why I think yeah. being able to, yeah. to see that benchmark. Well, you need both. You yeah. need what, you, what you've done previously, and you mm -hmm. need to know what the industry is yeah, doing. So, yeah. so when you're looking at benchmarking systems, you've got to say, well, who's in the database that you have access to? And, and how good is the data, and can you drill now? How far down can you drill mm -hmm. to look at an apartment and see what's going on? And how, how good is the user interface? How good are the, the support groups that the managers have access to so they can trade best practices between organizations? Yeah, and I was thinking that having those two or three numbers over there, like the FTE, and I remember asking that because I just couldn't get it in my head. I thought it was an inpatient thing when you mentioned that at the in, at the finance meeting, was thinking that if you have FTEs inpatient for adjusted occupied bed, if your length of stay goes down, then the ratio looks higher. So you might actually be more productive at that time that, hey, you are sending people, keeping people for a shorter duration, but your FTE then starts looking like it's more because yeah. the number of days a patient is seen is squeezed. Am I right, Tony? Yeah. That by having that cost, then per... Uh, that evens it out and gives you a better right. idea, having right. those two or three exactly. metrics together. Yeah, and really, to say in closing, is that the benefit of these is they, they have direct um, relevance to how we're doing overall, and we can use them to benchmark against ourselves. We can look at the historical trends against and say, right. how are we doing compared to last year and to next year? Well, benchmarks help you at right. least set a goal 
Yeah. It doesn't mean you're going to try to achieve that benchmark right. within a year or right. two. You're just right. going to use that to say, well, if I compare myself to other in the industry, I'm starting here. I may want to get there, but let me set a goal, yeah. you know, to yeah. get from here to there. It's just moving that needle more. Yeah. So, in the future, um, are we saying that we might have some sort of trend data that's available from some other set of hospitals, correct? Now, uh, this may be asking a Herculean task, and yet, given uh, the responsibility that we have, and given the enormous uh, uh, change that might happen in our healthcare system, would it not make sense to ask ourselves who in the Bay Area is another similar safety net hospital, mm -hmm. and begin now to uh, elicit a, a collaborative um, approach to share certain data so that we can indeed say, uh, this is what's happening in our region. Uh, I, I'm not suggesting that that's an easy thing by, by any means. It's actually pretty straightforward. Yeah. And, uh, okay. Everybody has to file reports with the state. Yeah. Okay. It's available on a statewide database. You can pull it. I can pull San Francisco General, yeah. Santa Clara. Yeah. That's San what I'm thinking. Yeah. 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 Statewide data makes more sense yeah. to me. And I do I do understand that, that yeah. you want to know about the industry. But if we're... If we are ad if we send Delvecchio to advocate for a safety net system, mm -hmm. we need to be able to see what we look like against other safety yeah. net systems, and not just what the national picture looks like. That includes everybody. I, I never thought we were benchmarking against a hospital in yeah. Athens, Georgia. I thought we were no. always yeah. using more. Yeah, we are. And, and, and I see. Using the whole industry, we're, we're looking yeah. at big things. And I'm, I'm actually advocating that we do some of that work because I think if we are trying to achieve some of these population health uh, ideals, we, we do need to understand what is happening to our community here, of course, but it helps to know how we stand against those other similar hospitals trying to do the same thing. Yeah. So if it isn't that difficult to do, um, I, I would prefer much more to have local data than, yeah. you know. Yeah, it's, it's relatively easy to do at a very high level. Yeah. Uh, again, I'm going to come back to details are really important when you do this. It's important to be able to drill down to departmental levels to a person. And the, the HS has actually done that in the past. We have a productivity model with tailored benchmarks that somewhere in the past were uh, agreed to by the organization. And, uh, and my understanding is we're pretty fortunate in California and that the state has collected all of this data yeah. in minute yeah. detail yes. down to diagnosis and yes. name it, right? Yes. Just a matter of whether or not our system can do the comparative. Are we overwhelming you? No, um, no. this is great it's feedback. We appreciate it, and we really wanted to provide this opportunity to, for you to ask questions and for us to clarify our process. Maybe you should you. benchmark what other boards ask. <laughs> we could start counting the number of questions that are being asked in every board meeting and compare ourselves. Yeah, maybe limit us to two. And just, what does work hours kind of mean? Is that a high number? Is that a low number? Um, the the difference between worked and the other one is... is um, essentially the vacation. So FTs has all hours, and worked is just time on the floor. And, uh, you know, 23.3 is the current. Why is that important to measure? Uh, because that's really what drives your cost, is how many, uh, at the end of the day, 
how much time are you spending on it? So that's a, taking care of patients. Is that a medium number? Or do you know? Hard for me to say. But what does it mean? Uh, that's our baseline. So that's what we performed at. That's that's the calculation for FY17. Yeah, for example, in 2016, we're at 21.2 or 3. Oh, so, so if you want to go up, you want to go down. I don't know. There's a desired diet, diet direction to the right. Yeah, lower is better. But I want to understand what that number means. So for each adjusted patient day, mm -hmm. 23 hours were worked to support that patient? Yes, yes. Uh, that patient among did. all people? Yes. Yes. Uh, in the FTE, everybody. okay. Yeah, everybody. Yeah. Thank you. And a patient day is eight hours. <laughs> no, twenty-four. No, twenty-four. A, a patient day is one patient in the bed for one day. Okay. Or else a patient in the clinic. But then adjusted for other activities. Okay. Could be less. So does that work? If it's almost twenty, so is that a one to one almost? Yeah. Three to one. Eight hours. Eight hours is uh, one shift. So it'll be three shifts. Three, three shifts. So patient is getting. Oh. No, no. Adjusted patient day is not one inpatient, right? That's right. the whole. Yeah. It's, it's a whole system, including everybody. Including yeah. every, yeah, every, every encounter. Including, and not just patient in. days. It's trying to approximate include all the ancillary activity in this case. Uh, okay. So, so. Teach me again, yesterday at Human Resources, and, and I understand negotiation sessions and those things, but people mm -hmm. come and say, you know, we can't get breaks, we need more staff, we're understaffed, um, we heard a great deal of that. Help yeah. us. Okay. So knowing that, and mm -hmm. if we accommodate those requests, then this number goes up. Yes. So how does a board know Absent, not absent other issues. Absent other issues. How does the board know that this number is it, it is in fact? What you helping. typically want to do, since you're negotiating uh, nursing agreements, is you want to know how many hours <coughs> are we spending per patient day on those units by type of service, ICU, med search, mm -hmm. readily available information, and in fact, we have a productivity model that. Um, Incorporating the benchmark that you know was, was compliant with all standards. Just, that's, you get right down to the detail. That's a bit best way to do and, it. And is that information shared with with the various units so yes. that they understand where it is? Uh, it's certainly available. I don't know that it's. Uh, is it? Well, uh, wait a minute. But, yes, but amount of yes, time spent with a patient does not immediately calculate the quality outcomes. Is that correct? No, it does not. It's just, it, it's, just, it, it's, just mm. yeah. it's just people or time. No, but right. Productivity. Productivity. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, and we're not measuring that under sustainability. That's, no. that's someone else's it's, job. It's somewhere else Our job is quality. to make sure we have enough money to serve patients. Care. I know. Quality is next. And <laughs> right. so I'm, so I'm, I'm, I'm waiting quality. with bated breath that right. we actually talk yeah. about quality. the outcomes. No, I mean, I, obviously we want to provide good care in accordance with the industry standards, and, but also do it in efficiently. Mm -hmm. That's what we're being asked to do. What? Provide value. Well, and we have to, uh, can I say, well, there is some baseline, too. I mean, we have to have somewhere around that number 20, 23, 25, whatever, because we are required to meet standards of personnel per 
patient, right? I mean, we have, we have ratios it, up to the state. Exactly. It's not yes. just a, yes. it's not just our choice to be more efficient and get rid of right. Clinicians. Right. Clinician. This is issue you're raising. This is way too high of a level. You need to go right down to the department and say, okay, how are we staffing these units? Are we in compliance? Right. right. You know? that, that to me would be worthy of, of a, and maybe that's just an administrative issue and it's not a board issue, but I, I would think as a board we would need to know how those things, particularly given uh, units that come or call or present themselves in front of the board, um, seeking additional help or support or whatever, and we have no data to be able to look and say okay. other I, than... I mean, that's readily available. You just ask for us, and we'll come in and say, this is, this is these are the hours, this is how it's being spent. And, yeah. so, so you don't think it should be a benchmark in here? No, that's a, that's a very detailed okay. operational question. But, but I do think that the HR committee should be getting that data and, and be looking at that. Yeah. How we compare to our yeah, state we, requirements. Yeah, we you know, are we above? Yeah. Well, we have to be above. Well, well no, I, that's but not yesterday a, we yeah. received commentary from four or five individuals, right. and the common theme of those commentaries seemed to be that there's not enough staff, and I'm not saying total number, but staffing mm -hmm. assigned to a specific um, well, the, the, the common theme would basically be what we heard yesterday was that we are not meeting the regulatory requirements. That's what they were saying was that we are in violation of the regulatory requirements by not having a certain number of people at a certain. And, and that's I, I what just, we heard. And I, and I, I just want to before you go there, Tony. I mean, I agree as the chair of the committee, but I think that we, if we don't believe that we're meeting the regulatory requirements in this facility, then that's a whole nother issue. So mm -hmm. that, but that's what I heard yesterday was that we, from two in particular, that we are not meeting the regulatory requirements um, on a certain day or a week or whenever. And if that's the case, then that's another issue. Just the only thing I want uh, to address is remember, we're in the middle of collective bargaining. Okay. The SEIU general unit and nursing unit have certain positions and we'll talk about that in closed session and they were advocating for that position. Whether or not that's an accurate reflection of what's going on, you know, could vary depending upon your lens of the world. The, the nurses who lead each of the functions or the facilities have managers and they're required to meet under state mandate regulatory requirements. They set up a staffing plan to absolutely do that on every shift and every day. Okay, how and does the board know? How does the book? I don't know that you, to some degree, you've got to trust the leadership and the executive team of, of the company. They can, we can be reported to the state and other, and, and other authorities by that. That is our work to do. I don't know um, how you would know on a daily basis other than being employed here and part of the operation. Yeah, so whether or not we, 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 we have staffing templates that are completely We do have staffing templates. Oh, I know you do. And, and you, you have to understand this cannot, for a board, be just an issue of trust. Mm -hmm. you, you, that is not the responsibility of a board is to just say, I'm going to trust administration. It is a matter of accountability of a public board to ask questions, not because we don't trust you. And the truth is, I think we got a great administrative staff, yourself included. I mean, really good people. But the role of the board is, in fact, to make certain that there is a checks and balance so that the employees in the organization recognize 
that the accountability, the public accountability is throughout the system, administration, union heads, the board, et cetera, et cetera. And that's why it's important that a board spend time to ask these questions. It's not just trust. No, I, I understand that. To some degree, as we look at a dashboard, this could be an endless document. And I know that's not what you're asking for, but you can look at staffing ratios, you can look at the number of EVS workers, of dietary workers, of number of meals produced. All of them are relevant and important facts as to the delivery of care to the patient. And at some point it becomes endless, and some of those metrics actually have to be operational daily management that we do. And what we're trying to do is roll something up that will give you a general sense of are we going in the right direction, whether it's sustainability, quality, access, or the other elements that we're trying to measure. Otherwise, this could be a 40, 50 slide deck every board meeting. Uh, and so, I don't think that's what, what this board is asking. And I, I think the question was to define these things. David has done a good, good enough job with mm -hmm. that. So I, I don't think that that's what we're asking. But I believe so the rest of the board can speak. That's my mm -hmm. individual opinion. But I don't think we're asking for rows and rows. I think mm -hmm. we're trying to understand what, in fact, you want us to look at that's going to tell us, one, that we're an effective organization against other organizations that are like ours, mm -hmm. and whether or not we are making progress as we compare ourselves against ourselves and against other people like us in the industry. I was responding to the, the specific about how do you know if on a given day, on a given nursing unit, when a question came to the board, yes, as it did yesterday from a number of employees about staffing, that you could trust that we were meeting the, that you would know we were meeting the ratio. And so I'm not sure how you can roll that up here, absent the staffing plans for every individual unit. Well, because we go into closed session and you, yeah. and you tell us that and you show us the documents or, or you prove the documents or continue shows us the stuff uh -huh. and then we know those things. Uh -huh. So, um, and... Yeah, Having been at yeah, the negotiation yeah. table for 17 years, I recognize what's going on. So I don't no, understand that. that. No, I, I understand that as well. I've just your question was specifically about the nursing no, relationship. I'm sorry, sorry. Yeah. getting too personal here. So yeah. I'm going to back off. Can I just ask a question? So, so if there's an allegation out there that we're not meeting our staffing ratios, and I understand that we always have staffing plans and we're trying to follow the plans. But there may be times when, when we just have not been able to meet the plans. Mm -hmm. Have we had compliance actually look into this and maybe do an audit, a random audit of maybe a couple of shifts just to assure ourselves that yes, we in fact did an audit, we pulled some of the shifts, and we're meeting the appropriate staffing plans as required by regulation? I'd have to defer to the compliance uh, department on that. We have incidents reporting. Anyone, any nurse, any employee absolutely has the incident reporting tool to, you know, to report that. Uh, they can go up through the, nurse, the nursing leadership or through the compliance department to do that. I couldn't tell you if the compliance department themselves have done a random audit of whether or not we're meeting. Uh, I don't think we're this is yeah, really weird. Assuming that Mike can answer that. Yeah. This would be a very straightforward, yeah. easy, to, easy, easy to do review. But I mean, I think it's, you know, as you look at various compliance issues and meeting regulatory requirements of the state, you know, I would think that, that a random audit maybe once a year just to, to add to the compliance audit calendar is sure. not a bad idea. And presumably the state does come when people register complaints. 
the state. You can find out what they're finding. Yeah, we can find out about the state when yeah. they came here. Okay. At the same time, I mean, we, even though we are, we have to abide by ratio, there are times that the patient's condition requires that we allow more hours for, for that patient. So there is some flexibility built in there because it depends on the patient's condition. But okay. the ratio, we have to abide by the ratio. And right. there are times that we don't meet the ratio depending on what's going on at that moment of time. Yeah, I get that. Okay. So I think, are there any other questions on sustainability? Okay, so we can go into quality then. Okay. Um, quality, we had actually several metrics um, in FY17, and we are uh, moving some of those to watch and, and, and really uh, honing in on uh, the PRIME, the waiver program, the PRIME, which is a significant component of that, which has several metrics. And I apologize in advance that I should have provided details under those metrics, but I know that that's an educational session that's uh, apparently being planned for the board and educating around all the metrics that are for PRIME. There are 60-some metrics. Uh, last year, we just, um, in FY17, we just said, you know, are we on target with the uh, nine to 10 different prime projects? I know that number changed over the course of the year and whether we delivered on those. This year, we're taking granular approach and saying, how are we doing against those prime metrics? Are we on target in achieving those metrics or are we not? Um, so there's a lot of detail behind them. Um, I can uh, give you a high level across the different um, uh, prime programs, what those are. There are 60-some metrics, uh, and, the, and the, uh, the glasses to look at the details behind it. And Dr. Barbaria can also comment because her team leads the work uh, for prime, which is really across ambulatory, behavioral, and uh, some of the acute services as well. Can I just, um, it, it, there are 16 metrics mm -hmm. that we're measuring in prime, right? And so in looking at this on the dashboard, I'm going to say, oh, well, 49 are on target and 11 are below, but it's not going to be really helpful unless I drill into the detail. And that's a lot of detail. Is there some way you could come back with a recommendation on at least four or five that you feel are the most critical ones that we should be looking at and then provide that level of detail behind it? Because I think we're just going to get lost. Yeah. May I suggest, do we, in the prime, do you have core measures uh, that you're doing? So why don't we do some core measures, Joint Commission core measures, check two or three that we are benchmarking ourselves around, so that would get the level of granularity that yeah. you're talking about. Some of them we're already reporting, so both HCAPs and CGCAPs, which we'll get to in experience, also count for prime. Mm -hmm. um, and then most of them are actually outpatient HEDIS metrics, so we can pick those. I would have to go back and look. I don't know how many of the inpatient ones are also core measures, but we okay. can definitely pull out those that are either HEDIS and or core. Okay, because I'm thinking immunization or something, asthma, or some of those things which are very local and very, very pertinent to our community might be some core measure metrics mm -hmm. that we want to look at. And there um, are, uh, and to respond to Trustee Charlin's question, there are some metrics that are cut across the different prime projects that are more, uh, that yeah. are, you know, I wouldn't say the word more relevant, but they're being measured quite often well, across all like the, the different projects. Right, and even some of diabetes care. Kind of, yeah, diabetes care. Yes. Mm -hmm. They really uh, tend to be 
kind of those hot buttons that everybody focuses on. So and those would be great for the board to see because we could kind of measure improvement over time on those. So we can bring the top six or seven, sorry, okay. we can bring the top six or seven that cut across these and are more in terms of uh, their cross-functionality across all the different prime metrics and percolate to the top and bring those to your recommendation as well along with this. So, so here's where I feel we need to, again, go back to what um, best serves our community. So here's an example. Um, we see a lot of Latinos here, and Latinos have a tremendous uh, propensity for diabetes. I'd like to know what we're doing for them um, because um, we should be measuring ourselves at our ability to meet the needs of the communities that we are serving. So I was going to start off with just a broad question. Who created Prime? Who, who made that? Is that from the Joint Commission or is that us or who? You, I can comment on that if you want. Um, so basically, it's what district used to be. So it's our block federal oh. grant that we oh, used okay. to get, you know, as dish payments, then turned into district for five years and is now called Prime. So okay. it's the same funding source. The state of California applied for that funding from um, the federal government. So the waiver goes to the state, and then the state distributes it to all the public hospital okay. systems. Um, and the metrics, unlike for a district, the metrics are all preset this time. So we did not, we had some, we could choose from a menu of optional projects, but there are also required projects that are the same. Uh -huh. And the metric specifications, there's a 1,500-page manual, and Whoa. Dr. Neha Gupta, who's my prime brain, has memorized every page of that manual. So when you guys do your in-service, I'm going to send her to you because she can answer every single detailed question um, much better than I can. But uh, the specifications around what we measure, how we measure, is all predetermined okay. by the state. I, I will say just from a clinical perspective, I really do stand behind every single thing that is in Prime. Mm -hmm. They're all very basic primary care, inpatient, specialty behavioral health metrics that every every hospital system, but especially every public hospital system should be doing. So it's chronic disease, it's around blood pressure, yeah. diabetes, it's around our cancer screenings. Um, a lot of the behavioral health and primary care metrics are around alcohol use and treatment for alcohol use disorders, substance abuse screening, depression screening mm -hmm. and treatment, um, you know, aspirin use for people who've had strokes and heart attacks. So they're all very relevant to our patient population. That, that, that's helpful to know that we're doing that, but, but again, I'm going to be even more specific um, just knowing this, the population issues that we are dealing with and the social determinants of health in our community, we seem to have a lot of behavioral health issues. So, I, you know, that might be a very high priority for us. Diabetes, I just mentioned. I'm working on asthma. We seem to have a lot of kids with asthma. Now, we're not seeing those pediatric patients here. They're going to children's, but some adults do. So. So is there some way that that can actually be matched to the demographic conditions that exist in our community? Absolutely. And this may be too in the weeds to so stop me if it is, but one interesting thing is part of Prime is we actually, as a system, have to stratify every single one of these 60 metrics by race, ethnicity, language, gender, um, and as soon as we capture enough of the sexual orientation and gender identity data by SOGI as well. But, you know, they want you to reach a certain thresholds so that you have enough of an N before you do that. So actually our BI team put together this amazing cube where for every metric we have that stratified data. Um, Dr. Minnie 
Swift has been leading the analysis of some of that efforts in our population health SBU, and now I'm sure Tangerine will get very involved. So at least the preliminary data that we looked at, it was somewhat surprising to me, certainly, because it actually showed on every single metric there were essentially zero disparities. The most disadvantaged group was white men, which came as a shock to me. Um, Dr. Kathleen Clannon from the county actually joined us for that meeting, and there isn't a great body of literature out here, but she said she's seen similar trends in other public settings, and the thought is that our entire patient population is so, so disadvantaged, um, you know, socioeconomically mm -hmm. and otherwise, that you don't see the racial gaps or the gender gaps the way you do in systems that, you know, frankly have a wider diversity of payer mix and socioeconomic status. Um, but that was really surprising to us because one of the prime projects is closing a gap, um, you know, in one of our patient populations. Oh, random question. Do, do you track income level in that as well? It's not built into the cube right now, and I don't know that we have great income level data period at registration. And payer mix wise, it would, it's not... In terms of I, I imagine, it's pretty, like I, I imagine it's pretty skewed as far as our paramics because of what it is. Like. Yeah, and especially for the prime population for most of the outpatient metrics, it's mostly our managed Medi-Cal population okay. and HPAC patients. So I'm going to turn to Tangerine if she wants to add anything. No, I was just going to say with respect to the income, because it's the Medi-Cal population, everybody has income at or below 138 percent of the federal poverty level. Right. Right. So there is right. income right. information that we can see. Right. certain assumptions. Yeah. Mm -hmm. May I ask another question? In terms of uh, so falls, why can we do uh, a composite of all hospital-acquired conditions? Why only falls? Why can't we do pressure ulcers, sepsis, and other things? Just do a composite of all hospital-acquired conditions. Would that we, we can do that. that we, 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 so we have, have safety data from that level, like where okay. are we? Is that right. we, we can definitely report on all um, yeah. So all of it, Cardi, Clapsy, and, and you do and, and we do report on those. Also, we, we, in the acute dashboard, we have all of them listed. Right, right. right. So we are doing that, but we, we can we can bring that. I think part. a full composite of harm for the full yeah. movement. Yeah. That'd be good. Yeah, yeah. You know, I was thinking as we go through this that maybe what we do is to set up the agenda, you know, through the course of the year and the staff can decide in what order, but that we have a meeting that is dedicated to access, for example, right. and quality. And then we go into this a little bit deeper. Mm -hmm. So we've talked about some of these things, as opposed to, and, and frankly, pardon? That's like what I said last night. You did? It's a good This is Joe's idea. <laughs> so, that we, we do, a little more of that kind of, of mm -hmm. thing. So and, and, and that's actually a great suggestion because each of these pillars are so significant and they have so many as you're seeing the flavor. It's not, we're trying to percolate it down to a system level, but then there's so much detail and uh, variation and uh, information, rich information. So we are happy to bring that. So, yeah. uh, so, so there are six pillars. Yes. We meet every month except August. We could cover a pillar a month if you wanted to. I'm serious. I mean, that makes a lot of sense to me because we could spend eons of time on all of this at any given day, but um, if we split it up, I think that would help us a lot. Okay. But I think you also have to take a few and focus on those yeah. throughout the year 
because I think it just yeah. it gives yeah. you a, a greater sense of accountability and that, you know these dashboards are great because when you're reporting on it you know right uh, you know you have to go back and you have to find a way to make improvements on those numbers that's why I said pick what you think is uh, of most importance this year and bring some of those and, and I think the reason why we pick uh, falls and not for example hospital acquired pressure ulcers is although um, we have seen significant improvement on both of them um, a hospital acquired uh, pressure ulcers we didn't we did a much better job on that. Right. So although falls, if you look at the data in falls, um, we went from, I think in 2016, we were sitting at 260 on falls, and we dropped down to 122. But in our quest for zero harm, we chose to follow falls this year, although we have the same best practices around it, um, to continue that journey. And that's why we pick. But we'll be happy to bring all the um, um, measures, which is the, which is the one, which are the ones that we just uh, listed. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Just knowing what the total harm yeah. we are doing, right, yeah. adversely is good to know. So, I, so I, I appreciate what you said, Gary, because that I think the suggestion is a wonderful one. I, you know, getting into the detail and all the pillars. I mean, there's just so much information uh, that really guides and informs the work that's being done. So. The intent really though was, and initially the intent was to develop an, an organizational dashboard where of all of these metrics mm -hmm. that we're watching and monitoring and all these different dashboards and all these different committees, that what are those that we have identified as areas of, of opportunity that we want to continue to very deliberately drive improvement mm -hmm. in these areas? And, and what are also those key indicators that are you know, industry standard indicators that will also give us a sense of our performance, specifically in sustainability, yeah. but the other. So, so that was the intent uh, here. So, uh, and you know, so to your point, Gary. I mean, I think it's great that you know we certainly can have an, 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 an you know global organizational true north metric dashboard that we're focusing on these areas and we can see this. But the idea and the the, the process of really dedicating you know, meetings or, or sessions to, to focus on pillars specifically that allow us the opportunity to get into the granular and the detail, mm -hmm. I think it's wonderful. So, so that was the intent. So I'm just trying to serve up the okay. thing. Yeah. Okay. Any so anything else in quality that, that we want to? Okay, then let's move wait, to. Wait, wait, wait. Oh, sorry, sorry there is something here. Mm -hmm. um, in our past uh, dashboard, we had all-cause 30-day readmits. Mm -hmm. um, that's super important to us, right? Mm -hmm. We would lose financially mm -hmm. if we have readmits. I, I think that's a huge quality measure all in and of itself because it encompasses so much. I do not want to lose that. Um, okay. That is too important that? to not yep. see. If I, you're, I, have I, you? Yeah. No, and we, we have actually that one also, the readmissions is also in the key SPU. Yeah. So a dashboard. So we are still monitoring. But no, we will bring that to us. That's well. in the prime. Uh, yes. Um, yes. It is as well. So we're, we're, we're happy to include it. Yeah, but I think it should be called yeah. out because we will call that. Yeah. 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 We can yeah. call we'll it out. We're measuring it and yeah. we can call it out. We'll call it out. Okay. Yes. Yep. Absolutely. So that's the question is, you know, how many things can appear up here? Yeah, but. Quality has those 
two right there. One more line, still well, squeeze okay, it in. And I think you can do. We'll make it ten point font or nine point font. Okay, so do that. If I heard you earlier, though, you, the, the goal was to, and I don't know if they, maybe we've changed uh, since we've decided to look at this differently moving forward, but. We, I, I thought I heard that we wanted to further expand the prime metrics. So, so you're looking at, you know, identifying what were some of those key indicators that are very specific to our population. So that could be five, six, seven. Uh, I don't know. Please use two pages. Okay, so so that's fine. So we want to make sure. So we want to include that in quality plus all 30-day readmission. Yes. because you wanted to do that. Yes. But, uh, but I also yeah, think that you, you know, don't overload yeah. it, right? I mean, yeah. to, you know, pick your top and then just use right. that in order to establish some goals around that so that we can monitor how you're doing against those goals. And if you start putting too much on your dashboard, it gets, yeah, yeah. It gets too much. Yeah, I think that those reports, I forget what they were called, but Karen used to have a 60-page yes. report that mm -hmm. she would bring. We can put those into um, board effect and people can look for them yes. if they want for the details. Please, yeah, yes. we can do some of yeah. 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 yeah, we should have the backup somewhere. Yeah. Somewhere. I agree. Okay, let's move to workforce. Uh, there's experience. Do you have any questions on experience before we move to well, workforce? Well, not actually experience. Oh, I'm sorry. I forgot. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay. Uh, we are looking so at uh, <laughs> 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 we are uh, for workforce uh, this year. We are uh, looking at turnover rate, and I know there was a significant discussion yesterday at the uh, HR um, committee on that. Uh, so, any feedback that you all have, we're happy to take that and and, and and make changes to the organization dashboard based on that. Well, the the main feedback was again how. How, is it just turnover through the whole organization? Where is the turnover happening? Is the turnover happening more among um, newer employees, or you know, relate the the turnover to tenure? And I think Tony got all that. Tony, sit down and tell us. Yeah. So this this is a composite score, and so what you would get from that is an overview of the organization. That there likely are pockets elsewhere, be they in nursing or individual departments, where it's higher, and where it's likely significantly lower. But this is just overall turnover. Now we can do it differently. We can look at first year turnover. Uh, we can actually look at the first two years of turnover, or we can look at overall turnover. We can provide data on turnover everywhere in the organization. The question is how, again, to the, the point of how much do you want it to roll up to a single number? And then how much detail do you want for these meetings versus the HR committee uh, versus the what we just talked about, which was coming in once every um, probably once a year, right. uh, probably for a board meeting to do a deep dive for the full board. So we can slice it up any way that makes sense to you. Question. Yeah. We didn't talk about this last night, and I thought about it at 2 a.m. this morning. Um, do we have a record of absenteeism? Uh, that is a great, uh, important, and current question. Okay. Uh, we have currently 30, I might be off here, we have about 39 PTO codes in Kronos. Okay. And so we're looking at ways to look at uh, absenteeism because there are, I'm holding what I'm saying because it's so nuanced. Kin care mm -hmm. is protected. FIMLA, intermittent FIMLA is protected. Mm -hmm. And so you have to be able to pass it down, uh, not only by the code, but the individual um, 
bargaining unit because some still have vacation and sick time and others have PTO. So the answer is we can get there. It's just not a simple. If we had a single, if we had a singular. Uh, set of employees we can do so easily. I think we can get that. I just have to think a little bit carefully about how we boil that out. And I think it's actually a reasonable metric for us to watch, whether it's here or with the HR committee. It is important because it's it's a it's a lead indicator of some other issues in the organization. Yeah, I thought about that later uh, yeah. because I think turnover rate is super important. Yeah. And you're right. The details on that by you know ethnic breakdown, yeah. gender, all of that that can happen in the HR committee, um, but it, I felt a little uncomfortable with only just one measure for oh, workforce. Okay. And so um, the other measure that you presented last night was on the total days of a uh, workers' comp. Okay. And that is another measure of mm -hmm. employee um, conditions. Okay. So that may be one other to, to thing idea. that you could mm -hmm. include in this, one of those. I'm a little nervous that we only have one thing. That's yeah, me too. my concern. Okay. Is there something we can measure around recruitment? Yeah. I mean, in the HR committee, they have a time so this sort of size of dashboard uh, specific for the committee. We can roll as many of those up to the full board as you see mm -hmm. fit. Well, the question is how you split that. Excuse me. We had time to hire. We had um, turnover. We had uh, the workers' comp. Um, what, what else? First, we had nursing turnover called out specifically because it's the largest individual group of employees. Uh, and then we, we displayed the ethnicity data, but we didn't think that was useful because we weren't showing the progression. Is, is there one of those metrics that drives yeah. registry use? They all drive it in various ways. So if, if our time to fill goes up, then we're replacing that with registry. If turnover goes up, turnover goes up we're doing that with registry. Uh, nursing turnover is obviously the one that drives the largest cost because the, the cost per hour is highest for the nurses in the temporary, uh, when right. on a temporary basis. Right. So all of them actually would drive registry usage in various ways. Uh, probably the turnover and time to hire would drive it more significantly. Uh, so nursing turnover and time to hire would drive it more significantly. So maybe time to hire is another one that would be good on this dashboard. Do you agree? Everyone? Do you agree? No, I'm fine with that. I spoke too much yesterday, so I'm... <laughs> yes, you did. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm not as crazy about the time to hire. I'm more concerned about um, uh, work-life quality, you know, the the ethos out there, what's going on with people yeah. that makes them come to work and give the extra mile. They do it, but when you start to have a place where that doesn't happen, you want to find that soon enough. Um, so, uh, do, you, uh, do you mind if I give that yeah. one some thoughts yeah, 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 and, yeah. and yeah. about some of those, and I can suggest them and see if they're <coughs> what your needs are, because I, I hear what you're trying to get to. I'm not sure that we capture it in either the HR committee or here, so I want to think about it and then see if we can come up with an yeah, alternative. I, 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 I agree, and I, I was going to say, I don't think time to hire, I mean, I, I honestly yeah. think your time to hire is great, and we are tracking yeah. it in HR, and I don't think that's a huge indicator of how our workforce feels or how they're right. doing. Yeah. I think, I think I I'm with you. Yeah. Uh, I want to know, um, yeah, I want to know about the, the absenteeism. I wonder how many Monday mornings get called in sick. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we, we were measuring also zero tolerance standards mm -hmm. of conduct uh, that I think on this page it said project completed. Um, 
I, I let's find one more thing that'll help us get at what's mm -hmm. going on in the workforce in terms of the okay. de Corps. Yeah, we can do people. that. Yeah. Okay. So you have yeah. they're looking at three yes. three major things. Yes. Okay. Let's move to experience then. Um, not a whole lot different from what we reported, uh, I might say, from FY17. Uh, these are well-defined. Well We've been measuring these for um, forever, and these are the measures that typically are used across uh, any healthcare institution. Um, we have very good benchmarks in this case um, across the comparison groups, and uh, we would continue to measure these as these are required by core measures, by Prime, and some, some of our other efforts as well, and state guidelines. I don't know if we need it, but the outpatient surgery um, scoring is coming. Um, right. Would that help us? Or? Yes, and um, we captured that because it's, it's mandated as of um, January 2018. What we are doing right now is we start collecting data for the outpatient surgery, and we are using that data for a baseline. So once we have enough data, then we can actually set the target. So we have reflected that on the watch measure dashboard because we don't mm -hmm. have data and we don't have targets for it because it doesn't start until 2018. But once we have data and we establish a baseline, we'll, you will also be seeing the outpatient um, <coughs> ambulatory surgery caps. Yeah. What about complaints and grievances? Where are we capturing that? Are we reporting that at all on the dashboard? We are not reporting that on any of the dashboard, but if you prefer to see that, I believe we, we do capture them. Um, and our quality folks capture that, so we'll, we'll, we'll bring that. Right, I think it's important as we look at experience, too, that we're capturing the number of complaints and grievances. Right. And I think you're probably measuring them separately, complaints versus grievances, right? Yeah. But the other important, actually, so important, is while the patients are with us, um, we do when patients, when we have a hiccup in, 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 in service, we do a service recovery. And we're collecting that and we are actually capturing that in electronically. And we are evaluating that data and making sure that it's meaningful for us to see if there are any patterns so that we can address the pattern and the trend. I don't know how anybody else feels on the board about knowing how many complaints and grievances are coming. That's so you're right, we should know. Okay, so that that looks like that's another request to be yes. added in that area. Sorry. No, I'm that's fine. That that's they asked the question of yeah. what of what we wanted to see. Okay, the, and then the next network. The, the last one is network, and in this one we uh, decided to go with a um, qualitative measure, which is completion of the health homes. Uh, what does project. network mean? Would you define that? I have no idea what that means. It's currently defined, um, as you see up in the screen here, providing the highest rate of community health program. We have actually debated that quite a bit internally. We feel that since uh, we have defined our strategic plan last year, uh, we have an opportunity to redefine the definition for network, um, and we have the opportunity to do that now with our new uh, CAO for population health. So we are talking with her and her team and across our um, management team as well to redefine that network. We know that that definition here is not necessarily one that fits our journey uh, as we define our strategic plan over the next few years. So we have an opportunity to redefine that, uh, to capture really what we mean when we say network, because it can mean our um, 
how we impact the social determinants as we look at population our population health um, efforts across our strategic plan. It could mean how we have uh, connections across our community with partners um, to build that system of care so it doesn't have to be us, it could be our partners in the community and how strong that network is. The definition can be defined and interpreted in many ways. Uh, so we do have an opportunity to work on that, and we'll, we'll bring back a proposed de redefinition. Well, I, I guess the question is, what, why did, why was that an earlier pillar? I mean, what, what was going on before? And if you're, if you're still trying to figure out what network is, why is it up there? It's because we grew right before we got here. We added San Leandro and Alameda, and we wanted to be a network health provider that captures, and then with Obamacare. We want to capture lives, not just fee for service. So it's about the whole system. Continuity of care. Yeah. But so define network. It's the it's the it's the entire it's, system. It's the system of delivery of healthcare on all levels to the Alabama population from primary to specialty. It's it's the network. Well, isn't that what you're measuring in all the other pillars? Is what is the effectiveness of our healthcare program? I uh, do think the some of the others are more internal focused. This one, oh, this is about how we work about with how we work with uh, the partners as well. I'm, I'm and and, and trustee well. manager is right. Um, I should have mentioned that at the outset. It was implied inside my brain, but it's, this is one of those pillars that is looking externally, Exter externally, uh, and it could be relationships across our, like I mentioned, across our community. It could externally across how we impact social determinants of health of the population that seeks us. And this is a definition that we can, again, as I said, retool it to bring back a definition that fits our population health journey. But it's definitely an externally focused measure. But isn't it also our whole system from primary uh, all through? So it's not just external to AHS. It, it's, right, right. It, it's our network as well. It's our ability to provide that continuity of care. Is that what we're kind of saying? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, how do we keep our people healthy? Yes. Let's have the measuring. I'm not We haven't talked about that. Yeah, we haven't figured it out. But this is this is sort of hi tangerine here. Hi tangerine. How are you? Good. Um, I wasn't here when we developed the measure, but let me give you my sense of what network means. So network essentially means the group of providers delivering the services that you have. Those providers could be with your own hospitals, your own clinics, or if you so desire that you needed a service that you couldn't provide directly, that you wanted to partner with another organization, you would partner with that organization, i.e. contract, and that provider would be part of your network, so you would be able to say, you provide a comprehensive array of services, whatever those services are, and you do them within your walls, and you do them via contract with those other entities. So that's your network. In general, organizations try to have a broad network, in part because, number one, they really are trying to be that usual source of care for their patients and sort of identify with their patients and ensure that their patients come to them for everything and reduce the tendency to go out of network for services. And so there's a desire to have a broad network of providers can, that can deliver those services. Now, with respect to the use of the term today, 
as Ishwari indicated, we have had discussions as part of the executive leadership team about whether or not it's still appropriate. You know, being here just, I think it was a month. You told me, you know, get rid I can't count days anymore, he told me this morning. Um, I think I would like to have some opportunity to work with the team to figure out what would be appropriate um, as another sort of metric to really think about population health more broadly, both in terms of how we partner with the community and what that means, and also what does it mean with respect to um, access. So a good example I, I used out of network a moment ago. You know, the extent to which we go out of network for services is I think a really good metric to track, right? Exactly. Yeah, right? Absolutely. Because it gives you a sense of what you might not be providing that perhaps you should provide, or maybe you are providing it, but there are some access issues around the, your provision of it. So I do think that there's an opportunity to actually rethink how we're working this, and that was just one example. Conversely, could we track people who come into our network that are receiving primary care elsewhere. I'm not sure if you can do this. So for example, if somebody is a patient at a primary care clinic like La Clinica and chooses to come into our system for the the, the other greater care that they need versus especially going care. especially yeah. versus going to Sutter. Summit or Sutter. I mean that that would be an indicator of of, of our progress as well, correct? Absolutely. I would make sure that um, that the um, pro, uh, the payer is a diverse payer source. I mean, what you don't want is, say, that Benica to send their uninsured, and only other uninsured, and decide to send their insured elsewhere. Right. Which is that is not a partnership. Okay. That's taking advantage of a safety net system. Right. So I do think you want to track that, but you also want to track the payer sources attached to those patients so that you're ensuring that you're um, a full partnership in, in that kind of arrangement. Yeah, I'm totally really glad to hear that because given that we are redesigning for population health, that one pilot seems so inadequate as a measure, even dashboard, uh, for the board to do that, so to have like a few really good ones of where, how our network is going, how we are doing that. So redefining it as well as having a couple of really good, robust measures would be great. And sure, what I is that pilot? Can you, do, can you speak to what that pilot is? Oh, sure, absolutely. So as part of the Affordable Care Act, um, there's a provision called Home Health for Individuals with Chronic Conditions. And states can participate voluntarily. California opted to participate. Uh, and it has outlined for each of the counties in the state um, when they would enter into this program. So there are three stages of the program. The first stage actually starts in July of 2018. Alameda County is actually in the third stage, and so technically they're not due to participate until July of 2019. However, the Alameda Alliance is really interested in uh, determining how, to, how its participation can be advanced, and so they're doing a pilot. They issued an RFI, which is a request for information. They sought participation. They've selected four organizations. We are one of the four. 
Uh, we have three of our primary care clinics that will participate, Eastmont, Hayward, and Highland. Um, the pilot really requires us to focus on individuals who have chronic conditions and who we also need behavioral health services and social support services. So it essentially supplements what Medi-Cal currently does for that patient population. And we will not know, unfortunately, for a while um, uh, which clinical conditions the state will elect for the pilot. The state does the election of the clinical conditions. We would be ensuring that we've got the staffing in place, that we've got the reporting in place, that we have our ability to actually do the assessments in place, that we've got the care plan in place, that we've got all of those things in place so that for the first year, Alameda Alliance can really assess how these four entities do, make any adjustments and needed changes so that when they are in the pilot, come July 2019, they're ready to go. Good, good. Could, could I, thank you so much for that. Can I make just one other observation? I don't want to lose what Joe said a moment ago. Um, I remember a while ago we, we had a conversation at one of our meetings where apparently it was very difficult to have patients transferred here if they needed some sort of additional care. Um, that other element of the network's effectiveness is not to be lost, I think. Um, we need to work as a system. Um, and, and for someone to be at San Leandro at the Hayward Wellness Clinic and they get referred here, and they get lost in the shuffle, that makes me really concerned as well. So the broader picture that you just painted is, is excellent, and I don't want to lose sight of the internal ability of the network to support the patients that we have. I Does think that it's that, yeah, it's that report yeah. in the transfer center that, right. that has yeah. come to us a couple times. We don't want to lose that, no, right. knowing that, yeah. because it was up and down, and sometimes there, there weren't enough staff there, and it closed, and then there was, there was some problems coming through. Well, that's, that's a good one for it, us to monitor. Well, and if I may say, I, I think for some of our patients, patient navigation is tough. Yeah. They, yeah. they really struggle to yeah. figure out what to do when they're in the midst of something that's really complex. So we have to be really good at you know that support. But uh, again, I just want to not lose that. I, I love the broad picture and making sure we're working with the community clinics and having the right kind of communication there. We sometimes need to just communicate internally in order to do this effectively too. Does that make Okay. Um, I, I just, I'm familiar with the Health Home Project and, and I was part of another organization that applied for it and wasn't one of the grantees. But um, to your point, Maria, that the health home is to, intended to assist all of those patients with chronic conditions who might otherwise either return to acute care or have to return to a specialist or somehow not maintain their, um, their health or, or follow their, be compliant with their, their instructions to have systems in place, to a network in place to ensure that they are successful in their treatment. Okay, it, it, it seems like we have certainly gone through a whole lot. And to, to close this portion of the agenda, uh, I want to kind of repeat what I think is the next steps and so that, and then you just say yes or no. Um, you, you have gotten feedback here from the board, members of the board. You're going to go back 
and modify this, you're going to come up with some definition for network because that whole thing is not yet completed. The other ones you've got enough notes about. Are you expecting to bring this back to us in September? Is that because I don't imagine you're going to do that next at the next board meeting? Yes. Okay. So we will see when we start planning for the next board meeting in September, then we will have a more completed work through and you'll come to us one more time to, to get the blessing of this is what the interpretation is. Does that meet the board's understanding of where we yes. are? Mm -hmm. yes. Okay, so we're all together on that particular piece. Okay. All right, Again, on behalf of everyone that spoke, I wanted to thank you all for your feedback. It's been very helpful. Is that sincere? You really want to. On that point, though, I do want to say, a, a kind of on a meta level, it's great to track this and for you to report to us, and, and I think that's great. What, I'm, what I will also look for throughout the year is what policy decisions can we make or assistance can we provide when there is a problem on the dashboard where we're not going in the desired direction, whether that's contacting our partners at the county or supporting legislative, I don't know. And so I'm always looking for opportunities for the board to not just monitor your work, but actually advocate for it, advocate for it or, yeah. or, or make decisions that will support it, whether it's a budgetary decision or, or, or a whatever. So just always keep that in the back of your head. We don't want to just be monitors. And then I, I want to also add the piece in September. It would be really great if, if you have enough time between now and, and then to give um, the month in which you're going to tackle each one of these things. And that's entirely what order you want to do it. That's, mm -hmm. that's administrative decision, how you want to do that. But so that we can, in fact, now plan for a, a board meeting and then also remember what things you think ought to go on board effect ahead of time or a part of board effect so that it doesn't bog you down. You can just send a memo to the board that X, Y, and Z is now on board effect and that might be helpful as well. Okay, so we kind of captured this. Okay, so then we're now moving to executive reports. Okay, do maybe 30 seconds? I can give you 30 seconds. Okay, um, read the report. We can uh, report that we're uh, working on year and close procedures. We'll have June done next week. <clears throat> Probably report out at toward the end of the week to the board. Uh, we've had a favorable development on some couple of reimbursement issues. Uh, the, uh, uh, MCE the cost program for 2017, uh, we're going to receive 78 million instead of the anticipated seven. Mm -hmm. additional eight million that'll occur in um, November. And actually, one of the reasons for that is that the uh, those front end staff we talked about earlier have done a really good job identifying uh, patients who are eligible for this program. Mm -hmm. And so that's improved. Uh, the other thing is that the um, SPD IGT program, SPD is, uh, SPD is uh, Seniors and Persons with Disability. Um, our reimbursement is going to increase from 4.5 up to 8. Million. We're still so having the audience. Three, three and a half million. Not hearing you very well. And um, the, uh, one of the reasons for that is that we get to include um, San Leandro and Alameda hospitals this year, which we did in the year before. Um, so that's largely attributable to those entities. And um, 
So that's good. The rest is we're uh, gearing toward uh, additional stuff for the Finance Committee in September and October related to the EMR, things like a long-term financial plan, productivity, assessment, uh, some other things. So. And, and what's our status with our challenge uh, in terms of the portion we pay for our um, uh, retirement? Retirement. Sarah, um, the uh, uh, Sarah staff has notified us that they're referring that uh, to the board. Uh, they're doing some additional work internally, um, so we're waiting for the next development. Okay, thank you, David. Um, you, you have my report as well. I'm happy to answer any questions you might have. I, I would just point out on the on the on the contracting piece with with Epic, we're moving into contracts. We've got our contract team. There is a slew of activities outside of the contract that we're doing in pre-implementation work to get ready for the start of the project. So it's not its not like we can wait for the contract to be signed and then say go. Um, we have a slew of activities that's occurring to get ready, to prepare, uh, put our plans together, get ready for staffing, because we'll, we'll have to do that, hit the ground running to start in January. Um, so lots of activity is happening now, forming those teams. Uh, getting the right people identified within the organization and the consulting firms identified there to help us do that. So lots of activity happening around that. I've got much more data we can share later um, on what, what's happening in those areas. Uh, the second piece of the report was just on ransomware. I wanted to bring that back again. Oh, yeah. uh, secondly, on the report, just because it's been such a big news item around the world uh, and the impact that it's created, I want you to know that we are continuing to be diligent in our work towards this. Um, I also wanted to share that we have been attacked five times from ransomware. We have addressed really? each of those. Ooh. We've not lost any critical data in the process. None of our mission critical data was affected by that. And we were able to simply restore data from our backup tapes, which we do on a very regular basis, um, to save the data that was there previously up until the point when the <coughs> ransomware was um, was effectively affected. Uh, we will also be starting an internal um, testing and education campaign with our staff. So we'll be doing our own our own internal phishing and own, own attacking of our own staff to help educate them on how big a deal this is. Uh, so we'll be sending our own people emails that, that, that entice them to click on something. And then when they do, uh, we will tell them, hey, you just, we do that all the time. You just potentially compromise the organization. So it, it's, it is very common to do this. And, it, and, it, and it's the best way to educate our staff because it's happening all the time. People we call it the best of training now. I can either confirm or deny that we will be sending them to the board. There you go. Yeah, we don't want I guarantee you. say, but if you get the education. I should go now. So, do we have any public comment? No. no, thanks. Then the board is going to adjourn to closed session. Any other board comments before we do so? Thank you. Okay, we'll move to closed session.